Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. On a former spinach farm, Pocono Raceway is one of the world's most unique racetracks with three distinct turns and straightaways this weekend. NASCAR heads to the two and a half mile tricky triangle where drivers and teams will face challenges they won't see anywhere else on the circuit. Hey, everybody, welcome into NASCAR America. Carol Amano and Parker Kligerman with you today. Parker, as a driver, when you see Pocono on the schedule, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, shifting, because this is one of the few or the only oval I know of in the world where you actually shift. So as they go off into turn one at over 205 miles an hour, you'll get down in there and you'll shift down to third gear. You'll carry that very slightly up off the corner and then you'll go into fourth gear. You'll do the same thing down in, some drivers will do it down in turn two and some drivers will do that same thing down in turn three, which puts a tremendous stress on the transmissions, but it adds a whole new element for drivers to do on an oval. And therefore, as a driver, you love that because you have this chance to do something you don't get to do anywhere else, right? Aside from road course racing. And therefore, it's this extra tool like maybe if I use it differently than the other guy I might be faster than him and it's that little extra thing out there that makes this place so cool add in that you have three very distinct different corners and it's just such a tricky place which is why they call it the tricky triangle right yeah I think I just, so. I, I guess that I just figured that out I think that's wow. exactly why it is very unique we're gonna really break it down we're gonna have you yes. jump in the simulator that's one of many things that is in store for today's show here's a look at what's on tap so Parker is gonna meet Pocono he's gonna get into the sim really show us why this three-turn course is called the Tricky Triangle, as he <laughs> just, just learned. as he just uh, told us. We're going to look back at some of the best moments from Pocono Raceway in today's top five. Those are always good. And we're also going to reveal fantasy lineups for this weekend. And I may just <laughs> tell you what I have in store for my lineup as well, which is a big deal. I'm going to probably copy your picks after how my stuff's been going. Okay, fantastic. Here's the current playoff landscape in the Monster Energy Cup Series. So as you can see, six drivers virtually locked up playoff spots based on wins this season. One of those drivers in search of a victory is Ryan Blaney. He earned one along with a playoff spot this time last year with a memorable performance at where else but Pocono. Ryan Blaney up alongside Kyle Busch. They are side by side. Plenty of time here. Set him up. Drive away, bud. Hit your mark. This is the moment our race car driver lives for. Ryan Blaney will score his first career win. <laughs> I'm so proud of you today. Great job, brother. Wood Brothers haven't won since 2011. Everybody wants to know, what's the party going to be like? <laughs> well, you're invited. That was such a great day for Ryan Blaney. We remember it so well. And as we go through the field and really touch on some drivers who have yet to score that big win this year, why not start with Ryan Blaney? He has had three DNFs in the last six races, so a little bit of inconsistency for Blaney. What do you expect from him this weekend? Could he pull it off again? Well, I've actually, throughout this beginning of this part of the season, thought he'd already have found winner circle. I actually picked him to win Bristol earlier this year, and I was looking really smart for a little bit of that race until he got in that wreck while leading. Uh, and I, the reason I believe 
believe that is that himself and Jeremy Bullins have a great rapport and going over to Team Penske officially in that 12 car, I just felt like all the stars were aligning to have more performances like we saw at Pocono there, holding off Kevin Harvick in the closing laps there. That was an incredible drive by Ryan Blaney. What he did there in those last couple laps where he moved his car around, he changed his line off into turn two to do things to hold off Kevin Harvick, one of the best in the business, right? So after I saw that and knowing he's going to Team Penske, I felt like, all right, this is where all the stars are aligning. This team is going to be a team to beat here at the beginning of the season. And we just haven't seen it yet. I, I've seen them lead a lot of laps. He's led the most laps than anyone outside the top 10. Actually, seven. He's led more laps than seven people in top 10 in points. So they're doing a great job in that 12 car. They've had a couple misfortunes, as we saw at the Coke 600, of blowing that engine. And it's just those little things that have held them back. But I seem to believe that that 12 car will win. And when they do, I feel like the floodgates are open because that team is very strong. And Ryan Blaney is a top driver. That I believe if they get that win, they'll win more often. And that will definitely give them a huge momentum into the playoffs. What about his teammate, Brad Keselowski? What do you think is going through the mind right now of those over at Penske who are wondering when it may happen for him this season? Uh, in speaking to many of them, frustration. <laughs> I think, you know, they believe the same thing I believe, which is that the team Penske cars are some of the best right now besides Stuart Haas Racing and Joe Gibbs. And if you look at a team, if you, if you were to say, okay, who's the best car right now that could beat Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, immediately I think Brad Keselowski in the two car. So why have they not been able to do it yet? That's what's perplexed them. And what he and Paul Wolf are so good at is that they're very methodical in their approach to how they go about racing. And so even when they feel like they're struggling, you're never going to hear out of those two, you know what, we just ripped up that setup and we're just going to throw something in. It's always a methodical approach. What can we work on? How do we get that little bit better? We need to find that little bit here to kind of go back to some of what we're seeing here, what he did back in 2011 winning at Pocono and that 2012 championship year that they had together. was They won that out off of outsmarting their competition and being methodical. So I think the position they're in right now is they know they have the speed or generally they're close enough to those top two cars that if either of those were to falter, they're in the position to win. And that's what you try to do with a team like them. They're putting themselves consistently in position to win these races and therefore it's going to fall their way eventually. They, if they could find that little bit of extra speed to match the four and the 18, I believe they could go on a major winning streak. If you look at what he's done in the last five races at Pocono, I feel like the top of the field, Parker, and tell me if you agree with this, is is being split into two groups. You've got Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick who are really separating themselves. And then, like you mentioned with Ryan Blaney and also Brad Kozlowski and a couple of other drivers that are in that mix, I think about Logano, I think about Truex, this next group of really talented drivers who are almost just right on the verge of joining that next level but haven't been able to find whatever small tweak they need to do it yet. Well, it reminds me of early in the season when Kevin was winning all the races and Kyle Busch hadn't won yet. And he said, you know, I feel like we're on an island because he felt like whenever they were the second-place car, there was always Kevin who was a little bit better than them. Or if they were the third-place car, you know, they, the two were just ahead of them. So they were always in position to win. And then he finally won, and now the floodgates have been opened, and he's been on a real tear. I think it's a similar position for Brad Keselowski and Ryan Blaney, that they're right there. And what's stopping them is that for every reason, and when every week we go to the racetrack, we see the 4 and the 18 just seem to have that little speed advantage over everyone. And it's just, it's minute, it's very tiny, but it's enough to carry them, even if they have little mistakes. Whereas a team like the two-car, Brad Kozlowski, has to be perfect right now if they want to beat that 4 and the 18. And therefore, as I said before, a lot of times in this sport, we talk about putting yourself in position to win. And that's how you get wins. You've got to be in the top 10. You've got to be running the top five. And when you're doing that, 
you're going to have it go your way eventually to win a race. And that's where the two-car finds himself right now. And that's where I believe Ryan Blaney finds himself and majority of the field kind of does. Although I would put the two and the 12 just a little bit ahead of the rest of the field. Even ahead of Denny Hamlin? No. That's one I would put in that group as well. Okay. And <laughs> the reason is, if you look at his numbers, he is actually in top fives and top tens very similar to his teammate there in Kyle Busch in the 18 car, except for two categories. Wins and laps led. <laughs> he's, he's got no wins, and the laps leds are far lower. So I think for the 11 car, if we've talked about this too much almost this season, which is obviously the penalties. They keep putting themselves behind with the road speed penalties and those sorts of things. And the 11 car has the speed. He's seen what his teammate is doing. He sees the data out of Kyle Busch. You remember uh, him talking about Charlotte this past weekend. He said, you know, I, I, whenever I come to Charlotte, I look at Kyle Busch's data because I think he's so good here, and I try to match him, and he was just a level above us this weekend. And that's the thing. As a, as a driver, when you have a teammate who's raising the bar, you then look at that and say, okay, how do I get there? And you've got to find it. That's your job as a professional race car driver is to find a way to match them or use that information to beat them. And that's where Denny Hamlin is right now. He's got to find a way to match that 18 car to beat him. You say we've been talking about penalties and some of the small stuff over and over again, but it sounds like that's what's making the difference. And we had some of our analysts on NASCAR America yesterday, if you were with us, handing out midseason grades, so to speak. And they were tough on Denny Hamlin. Take a listen to what Steve Letarte had to say. I gave him a B minus. He's a B plus, A minus on the racetrack and a D minus off the racetrack, on pit road, in the pit box, running yeah. pit road speed. It's easy to say, look how well he recovers. That's great. How about not starting from behind? That's right. Let's yeah. quit having That's, something yeah. to recover from. And listen, he is probably one of the most undervalued race car drivers. The amount of wins, the big races, but it's because he makes it so difficult the rest of the time. So is it easier for, and I say easy like it's easy. It's I like not what Steve easy. had to say there. Yeah, well, yeah, he really <laughs> took it to him yesterday a little bit. But an honest assessment. He might not assessment, be getting a Christmas card from Denny. <laughs> an honest assessment from his point of view of what the team is struggling with, which is some of those things, putting themselves in bad positions where they can't secure those wins. If that's the case, if you're a driver like Denny Hamlin and there's been penalties and mistakes and such and you just haven't been able to get to victory lane, is it easier to correct that kind of stuff than it is if you're a driver of his caliber who may be either undervalued or is one of the top drivers in, in the series and they're still just figuring out what needs to be done? I think the best example of what you wouldn't want to be in is think about Jimmy Johnson in that 48 car. That's a They're lacking speed, yeah. right? It is so hard when you are lacking speed to find speed in this sport. Obviously, that's all we search for as racers is speed in the race car. And Hedrick Motorsports has struggled to do that. Meanwhile, Denny Hamlin is in a position where he knows he has the race cars at hand. The race cars have the speed. Now it comes down to execution. And for a lot of race car drivers and a lot of race teams – that's an easier situation, right? right? That's easier to go out there and think of the ways that you can just execute perfectly, be right in the pits, make to, you know, make the right strategy decisions and not make mistakes. That's that's what you're paid to do. That's why you're a professional race driver. You shouldn't make mistakes. So I think that's a better position to be in. And I believe I, I know I know what Steve is saying, and I agree with him in a lot of ways that we can't constantly talk about, wow, what a recovery, because that becomes tiresome. And for the race team, it starts to ask questions like, why are we always recovering, right? Why are we always making mistakes? And then that becomes a narrative you don't want within your race team. And it can, especially for many, it can get mentally inside your head to where you start to make more mistakes because you're trying not to make mistakes, right? right? That's why 
I think the position they're in, though, is better than a team like the 48 Jimmy Johnson who's trying to find speed where it's, it's everything you can do just to run up front. Right. All right. Uh, much more to come on today's show, including some other winless drivers. We'll yes. keep that as a theme for the day. Who might make the trip to victory lane? It's happened in the past. Plus, we revisit some of Pocono's greatest moments in today's top five. And we'll look at the Drive for Diversity Picker Combine and hear from the exceptional athletes aiming to make a transition into the highly competitive world of NASCAR. Stay with us. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. And set across. Oh, and it didn't go. It was tucked with a wide open net. Caps goalie Brayden Holtby with the game-saving stop last night as the Capitals evened up the Stanley Cup final at one game apiece with the Golden Knights. The series now heading to Washington, D.C. for Game 3 on Saturday. Our coverage begins at 6 p.m. Eastern with NHL Live. It's been an incredible series so far. And Vegas native Kurt Busch was a guest on NHL Live. Also got to ring the <laughs> siren before the start of the third period. You think this Look at that intensity. That? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. That, wow. Now we know what he's doing when he's inside the race car. That's the face he's making. I don't but. know how to feel when I watch that, <laughs> but I appreciate the intensity, no doubt. Yeah, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> it needs to just nice music over that. Oh, man. That's a new man. dance move. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, I wish I could get some of that in my Thursday every week. If winning the, if bringing the siren like that could get you in a victory lane, I think he'd be there all day. But still, you have Kurt Busch, another winless driver this season. You see anything for him at Pocono? Uh, yes, I, I do. I think that, you know, Kurt has been the second best car at Stuart Haas Racing, in my opinion. I know that's odd to say because Clint Boyer's won a race, but I believe consistent speed-wise, the 41 is the closest to the four car of Kevin Harvick. And for Kurt, it's it's funny because he's such a talented veteran of the sport right now, and he's he's had such a, a successful career that in the last couple of years, it's kind of been hit or miss at times for Kurt. But He's consistently fast. That's the weird part. It's, it's funny that he hasn't found victory lane more often than he has in the last couple of years, especially at Stuart Haas Racing. And so I think he's in one of those positions where he is right behind Kevin Harvick. He's seen what Kevin's doing. He's trying to mimic him in a lot of ways. Kurt and I spent a little bit of time uh, together just two weeks ago when we did that Marine piece for the uh, Mission 600, and we talked about it a little bit. And he said, you know, the things that are happening in the sport in terms of driving, he's trying to adjust his driving style, and it's a style that actually works very well for Kevin Harvick. It's not what his natural style was. So he's had to adjust himself here in the last couple of years, and especially the first parts of the season, to match Kevin a little bit more. And the best way I can explain that, if you're wondering, well, what the heck is a yeah, driver's style? Yeah, I'm just going to ask you what that really meant. Think about golfers. You hear about uh, Tiger Woods who changes his swing, right? And he has to completely redesign the way he does his swing. Well, a driver drives a car a certain way. It depends how much brake you're using and how you use the brakes, how hard you turn at the entry of a corner. All those things are considered a style, and every driver is a little different. And sometimes certain rule packages suit certain drivers. And therefore, if you, especially now with data and when you can see a teammate's doing really well with a certain style, then you try to mimic it. But that's tough because you have to change every bit of muscle memory and everything you know inside the race car and start to consciously do that. And so that's a tough thing to do. And I know Kurt's been working on it. And I think that's why you see that speed out of him. But it's tough for him to match someone who's naturally already doing that. It's taking more effort for him to do those things than for Kevin just to do them naturally. 
The last driver we wanted to include in this category of drivers to watch for or still win this season is Eric Jones. And we've talked about him a lot this week because you get the sense that the organization and Coach Gibbs really feels like he is due. Like they have been so close. I think I think he even said that at one point after last weekend, the Coke 600, that, man, they, they really want to help him in any way that they can. How close do you think he is? Well, I felt he's very close. I thought he'd win a race last year. We saw at Bristol in the fall race last year. He came so oh so close to being his mentor there and Kyle Busch, and I just think Eric Jones is one of the more talented drivers we've seen come in this sport in the last couple of years. I was his teammate back at KBM when he first came into the truck series, and it was amazing how quickly he picked up truck racing and how quickly he won off the bat, and then when he went in the XV series, how quickly he was winning there, and so I've just seen his very quick accession and thought, man, he's going to win a race any minute here, and it just hasn't happened, and it's frustrating because last season I would have said the reason he hasn't won is there were small mistakes. There was things that he would do in late race restarts. I remember Richmond last year, he came down in the top five, had one of the fastest cars and missed a shift on the restart and ended his day and ended his chance at a win. And it was those little things like that that were holding him back. But now as we enter his second season and he's a part of Joe Gibbs Racing proper, you're thinking, all right, those things get pushed aside. Now it's time for Eric Jones to show the talent that he has, the speed that he has, and go out there and win races. And it just hasn't happened. But I go back to the same situation that we thought of of Denny, which is that you've got Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch here who are winning all the races. Yeah. And therefore, these two that are very close to them in speed and seeing all the things they're doing and, very, and running well are just not better than those two. And so, therefore, they're in position to win. It's similar to Brad Keselowski. They're putting themselves in position to win. They're just not there to capitalize. And they don't have the speed advantage over their teammates yet. But remember, he led the final practice at the Coke 600 weekend. He looked great last weekend. I just, and barring some of those pit road issues, put it could have been up front, and barring if there was a late race restart or something, maybe he could have taken it to Kyle Busch, who was very yeah. dominant. But it's definitely a situation where you have a young driver who is most likely frustrated. I know he's frustrated. I know that, you know, there's he knows he has the speed. He knows what it takes to win. It just hasn't gotten it done yet. And that's what it's going to take, is once you get through that first win, then mentally things change. It becomes easier, and you can find ways and easier to get back individually. All right, we're going to welcome another voice into the conversation when we come back. We're going to be joined by the Morning Drives, Pete Pistoni. Pete is going to be on the hot seat here. Our dominant performances from Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch good for NASCAR? Will Pocono produce a new face in victory lane? And will the new rules package be a game changer in the Xfinity series? Pete will answer those questions when we come back. Stay with us. As NASCAR's first female African-American pit crew member, the 24-year-old is changing more than just tires. She's also changing the face of a sport where the athletes and audience skew white and male. I feel like a hero. Like, I really am paving the way for others. And, you know, just them seeing me do it, it makes them, you know, want to be a part of something, too, like this. That was Brianna Daniels, one of the graduates of NASCAR's Drive for Diversity program, who has gone on to become NASCAR's first African-American female pit crew member, as you just heard Chanel Jones say. And this year's pit crew combine took place last Friday in North Carolina, where athletes from a variety of sports tried to prove that they, too, can make it as a pit crew member. We go all over the country, HBCUs, major colleges, looking for athletes that we can convince to come in and be pit crewmen in the sport of NASCAR. Need some water, need some oxygen, everything. 
I was never a NASCAR fan. Going on TV, you know, looking for those basketball and those football games. The only time I would like stop and see NASCAR is if I was like, if I accidentally switched the channel. And I'm like, what? People really enjoy driving in circles like real fast. And before that, I didn't even know about the pit crew until Coach Horton came to my school. I think today with, uh, with the press around and everybody looking, I think uh, the stress is uh, a little bit higher. You know, their football, basketball, softball, volleyball, their careers are over. They're not going to the next level. So then we offer them a second chance to stay competitive. Well, when they walked in here at first, they're all nervous because <laughs> they don't know how they're going to perform. You know, this is all new to them like it was new to me. Uh, my name is Tori Spann. I play women's basketball, a guard from Alcorn State University. My name is Keiston France. I went to North Carolina a State University. I was the captain of the tennis team. Uh, my name is Lafayette Kemp. I play football, and the college I went to is Kentucky Christian University. The first thing we looked at was their ability to move their feet. Secondly, we look at their core. You know, being a, a pit crew, they have to get down a lot. They have to get down on their knees. They have to bend. So we're looking at athletes that are agile and can make those moves and do those techniques and do them fast. I actually expected it to be a little bit more easier from the combine at school, but it actually felt a little tough. She started pushing she pushed, through with Danielle. She pushed through at yeah, the end. Yeah, she did. Yeah, that's that's crud shot right there. This job requires like physical strength and definitely a lot of focus. Drills, they were tough. They were tough. You got up kind of lightheaded. I like the guy's uh, attitude with the, the braids. The, yeah, he was not smiling one bit when he came in here. When somebody was holding his feet during the setup, he said, man, hold my feet. That's the attitude you got to have. Tennis has been my pretty much my whole life. And when I discovered this, and I knew that I wanted to go over the wall for a living, which is crazy, um, I started training for it. You know, so I had to bring my A game at least. 80 individuals have been introduced to the program. About 60 individuals have found work in the sport. And once we show them how the drivers need them to win a race, I mean, it's a huge rush as far as jumping out in front of a car at 45 miles an hour. It gives them the same feeling that they had when they played stick and ball. Like I said, it's like moving you from right tackle to left tackle and it's snapping the ball. Your mindset is going whichever way you used to go. And it just doesn't click like that. <laughs> and we now have the pleasure of welcoming Kyle Petty into the show. I love, Kyle, this combine. The video is so cool. I love that there are more women getting involved. These pit crew members I'm fascinated by because they're the unsung heroes of the sport, and so many people don't know their background and their stories, how athletic they are. It's fun to see them go through a combine like that. It, it really is. Um, it, when I was younger, I carried tires for my father, and they looked at me and they said, you're 16, you can go over the wall, it's time to carry tires. That's how I got a job on a pit crew. That's the way it was. <laughs> uh, it, it, we look at Leonard Wood, we look at Dale Inman, guys that were crew chiefs that came down off the box because you only had a limited number of people. In this sport, it's gotten so specialized. I love to see these guys, uh, the men and women that come out and change tires, that jack the cars, that do the gas, uh, gas cans. It's hand-eye coordination. It's footwork. It's the same movements that you learn. We heard him speak about tennis. In tennis, in basketball, setting a pick, uh, whether it's in football, moving from one side to the next, it doesn't make any difference. And as a driver, Parker can speak to this, as a driver, you want the best when you come in and stop. You only want to be there 11 seconds or so. You don't want to be there 15 or 16 seconds anymore. Uh, so it's really amazing what this combine has brought to the sport. 
No doubt. And you know what's amazed me, Kyle, is not only what we're seeing these young athletes coming out of the college ranks, but also some of the athletes that have come out of the pro ranks to become pit crew members. I just had a guy on my pit crew at Charlotte in the truck that came from the Jets. He had played for the New York Jets for a year or two. So that's incredible to me to see these athletes who, you know, they're aspiring for stick and ball sports, but then find this opportunity in the pit crew realm. And for race teams, that's a that's gold because we want the best athletes we can find. And that's how we make the pit stops faster. When you can, And when you make time on pit road, that's just easy positions on the racetrack. And that's what all the race teams want yeah that adrenaline i'm sure is something that's yeah. just addictive for a pro athlete and you really find that in the pits i mean like kyle said it's 11 seconds you must execute and it feels great when you do and terrible when you don't yeah, no, <laughs> when, it, when it goes bad that is a terrible thing yeah. I, we've heard many drivers get angry about that but yeah i just think you said it, it's it's about finding that the, for some of these athletes you know finding that next athletic endeavor and pit crew is the opportunity for them and so that and it's a very lucrative opportunity i can tell you that there's many pit crew members that are do very well uh, monetarily in the sport. So it's definitely a lucrative opportunity if they're ma- able to make it happen. All right, we love that inside look at the combine. Still to come, our fantasy picks for the weekend, and Parker's going to hop into the NBC Sports iRacing Simulator. All right, bye. He's see ya. Show see us, you later. He's going to show us how challenging one of NASCAR's most unique layouts can be. All right, get strapped in, buddy. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Welcome back, everybody. I am sure you've heard Dale Earnhardt Jr., the newest member of our NBC NASCAR broadcast team. New gig for Jr., but he's still the same guy that fans love, and he gets things going July 1st from Chicagoland. Jr. brings us to today's top five Pocono moments and one of his most memorable wins. Let's take a look at those if we can. And, Kyle, we'll start with number five from June of 2014. Brad Kozlowski tried to use Danica Patrick's car to get rid of some debris, but when he slowed down, Jr. caught him, passed him, went on to win. Yeah, I'm not sure that there was shifting going on during that race, but Brad took his brain and knocked it in neutral going in turn one right there. I don't know what that was all about. But basically just pulled out of the way and gave Junior that win. (laughs) Number four, in the first race after the repave in 2012, this is sliced bread Joey Logano getting into the back of the man who gave him that nickname, Mark Martin. You know, and and listen, this is a big race for me because I, I feel like this is a race that Joey Logano began to come into his own. He didn't back down from anybody. If you don't back down from Mark Martin, you're not backing down from anyone. <laughs> True enough. Number three, August 2015, fuel woes wreaking havoc on the leaders in the final laps. Matt Kenseth coming out on top. Yeah, Matt Kenseth coming out on top. The only person more surprised than Matt Kenseth was his wife, Katie, and his kids who were already gone to the airport because they figured <laughs> no way he's going to win this thing. <laughs> Number two, 1986. This is Tim Richmond in the 25 on the outside, passing Jeff Bodine in the five car for the lead on the final turn of the final lap. And Ricky Rudd made it three wide on the inside. Listen, for all you fans that are just fans over the last eight or ten years and don't remember this type of racing or this move at this racetrack, that had everyone scratching their head. Tim Richmond was such a talent to pass on the outside on that last lap. It was an incredible move. And you know this one was going to be in there. June of 2000, tables turned on the Intimidator. Jeremy Mayfield knocking Dale Earnhardt out of the way on the final turn of the final lap to win. Yes, Jeremy Mayfield did not get the book that you're not supposed to run into the three car. And obviously, he ran into him and knocked him out of the way. And that was a big moment. I'm telling you, a big moment for Jeremy, uh, but a big moment for Earnhardt, too. He was a little PO'd when that was over Nice little post-race salute from Dale. All right, Pocono Raceway started out as a three-quarter-mile short track before turning into its familiar two-and-a-half-mile triangle. Each of the three turns modeled after turns at famous racing venues. You've got turn one based on Trenton, turn two, Indianapolis, turn three, Milwaukee. And not only are the three turns vastly different, but so are the three straightaways that connect them, including the track's front straight, which stretches the length of more than 10 
football field. So, Parker, how do you manage this thing? Well, it's three too many corners for me, Carolyn. So, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to get Kyle's opinion here soon. But right now we're coming through actually turn three right here. And this is where you're going to get to the uh, – eventually we'll get on the front straightaway and get the green flag here. And I want you guys to all focus on my car, which is here in the back. It's the white and blue and yellow NBC Sports Network car. And I'm all in the back here because I want to show you these restarts. These are insane. A lot of times we see cars go four wide, even five wide as they get the green flag because there's so much available real estate. So here we get the green flag. And right now I didn't get a great jump. Pretty normal for me. And therefore, then you see in front of me, guys are going to start going to the left. They're all going to start fanning out, trying to find a lane down into turn one where then you all funnel in and eventually get shoved into one lane. It can be chaos at times on the restarts. Add in that now drivers are shifting down into turn one and maybe even into turn two and turn three. It's crazy. But Kyle, how crazy have you seen the restarts get? Yeah, listen. In recent years, I think it's 40 wide when you have a 40 car field. That's what it seems like. <laughs> When, when they drop the green flag. But, you know, as you say, Parker, no matter how wide you get, you've got to get into that corner. And the angle of attack into that first corner pretty much sets you up for that tunnel turn. And a lot of times it carries all the way through the lap. You'll get finally over here to turn three where you'll start to get single file again, which can be really tough to run side by side here. If you have a guy on the outside of you like I had there, they're taking the air off your right side, which makes you very loose. And then they're going to try and side draft you down the straightaway. So you'll shoot all the way down here, then shoot back up to get in the proper line at over 200 miles an hour into turn one where you're downshifting into, into the corner into third gear and then quickly getting back to fourth gear up off the corner. It's a lot going on. And Kyle, the other thing is crazy about the shifting here is that you do it so quickly, which makes it really hard and gives you very little room for error. Yeah, this is not, you know, the shifting here is not like at the road courses where you, you run at a corner and it's fourth, third, second, and you're going down or, or whichever way you want to go. This is, you pop it in gear, stand back in the gas, and run again, and you hope uh, that you make, that's why we see so much transmission, so many transmission issues when these guys went to shifting. One of the reasons they outlawed shifting, because it makes the transmission run hotter. It makes so many components, uh, stresses so many different components. So NASCAR looked at it and said, we're not gonna do it for a while. I think shifting makes for a better race. I do too, and you know what? We also have seen that's another component that gets a lot of abuse here is brakes. We see two guys ahead of us right there get into it a little bit. You'll brake the hardest into turn one there, coming over 200 miles an hour, even over 205 miles an hour into turn one. And then you'll brake maybe a little bit less into turn two, where you try to roll a lot of speed as we're going in here three wide. This is not going to end great. And you'll actually brake a little bit down in here. It's not as much as you will in the other corners. And then you'll brake a similar amount into turn three. But for whatever reason, and I guess it's because teams are trying to keep their aerodynamics the best they can. They don't allow a lot of cooling. We see a lot of brake issues here, Kyle. And I guess it's just that, that immediate hard hit you have in the turn one and then how little you're using them the rest of the lap. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I think we all, there's, a, there's that fine line where we're using a lot of brakes as a driver, getting down into turn one, dragging the brake a little bit over the tunnel, using a lot of brake getting into turn three. The crew chief looks at it and says, oh my gosh, they got plenty of time for this, this thing to cool off. Look how long these straightaways are. So they add a little bit more take. You as a driver add, use a little bit more brake. And the next thing you know, we've seen some horrific accidents going into turn one where a rotor comes apart on Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon through the years, uh, Kenny Schrader long many years ago, so many wrecks.
where it just takes your breath when you see a guy go up in there with no brakes at all. No doubt. And Kyle, one thing you... Oh, no, Carolyn, I just got oh. into someone off turn two, and that's why you don't want to go side-by-side side to turn two because it's such a tough place to do it because when you are side-by-side side there, it gets so tight off the corner, you end up running into someone like I just did there. And now I'm probably... I'm going to the wall again off turn three. This is a disaster. Take it away. <laughs> Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Let me just say this, Parker. The, the, all these guys that are racing with you, they just think I'm still in the car from last week. <laughs> you should have seen me last week. It was sad. The sadness, I'm still heartbroken about it. You do a great job, dude. Great job. I think you did great. You're, you're good. Wow. Wow. That was riveting stuff. All right. Um, we did promise you that he was coming up. Uh, Pete Pistoni of Sirius XM Radio is here, and we have some questions for him, like, our dominant performances from Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, really good for the sport or not? And also whether or not we're going to see somebody new in victory lane this week, along with some other questions. So stay with us next. Can you walk us through the battle of the 18th? There was no battle. He was way faster than we were. Kyle Busch is going to win at Pocono. The last time we're in Pocono, Kyle Busch shook the checker flag with Kevin Harvick finishing right behind him. And with that, we welcome in Pete Pistoni of The Morning Drive on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. That is Channel 90, if you're not aware. Pete, so glad to have you back on the show. It's been a minute since I've talked to you. We are halfway yeah. through the regular season now. Um, those two names, Harvick and Busch. They have just been the center of attention. What do you think about their dominance? Is this a good thing for the sport or a bad thing? See, for me, Carolyn, I, I think it's a good thing. I like this heavyweight battle, this back and forth. Now, I would I would say this. I think a lot of the fans, a lot of our listeners would rather it spread around a little bit. But I'm okay with these guys going at one another. And in both cases, they're just trying to put numbers up on the board. I was trying to think of what this reminds me of in sports. It sort of reminds me of back in 1998, watching Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire try to break the home run record in baseball. Granted, I look through the prism of steroids at that. I look at that a little differently, but my, my point is, these are two guys that have nothing to lose from here on in except trying to put wins on the board, and I think it's going to be fun to watch the rest of the summer to see if they can get maybe the double digits, maybe one of them, maybe both of them get the double digits. I think it'd be a good thing. I really do. Wait, so, wait. Do you think that's possible that both of them could get to double digits? Who's close to stopping these guys from winning every week, guys? Martin Truex Jr., if you look at the, if you say Harvick, Kyle Busch, for sure, one, two. Martin Truex Jr., we'll put him in the big three. Who's even close to being that fourth guy that could go out there on a regular basis and win? I haven't seen it so far. I know it's a cyclical sport, but unless it changes dramatically overnight, why can't you just play the clip of Kyle Busch winning at Pocono last year? Why can't Kyle Busch win again? Why can't Kevin Harvick win again? I, I, Listen, it, it's a long shot, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen. And I think actually a driver that could get up there and maybe challenge those two is Brad Keselowski in that two car because those Team Penske cars have been very fast. But I want to go back to the idea of is this good or bad for the sport? And I agree with you in the fact that I think it's cool to see excellence, to see two drivers go out and be at the top of their game. That's an awesome thing. But I think at the top of the sport and what NASCAR has been known for for so many years is parity, is seeing so many drivers and teams have a chance to go up there and challenge for the win. And that's what you see in the NFL, and that's what makes it so exciting. And for whatever reason, whether it's the rules package, whatever those drivers are doing in terms of Kyle and Kevin, 
it's taken some of that parity away. And I think we're, we're starting to see where some heavyweight teams are getting away from some of the mid-pack teams and such, and we're starting to see a larger gap. So I, I hope that this trend doesn't continue, but it is cool while it happens now. Yeah, Pete, it is Your funny. Thought? It's making fantasy really easy. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it's a little too easy, I think. Yeah. Here's how it could be better, though. And I agree with you, by the way, Carolyn. I've been riding that Kevin Harvick bandwagon on my fantasy team, too, so I hear what you're saying. Here's how I think it could be better. If we had a week where Harvick and Bush were battling each other for the win, not one was running out and dominating, and then the next week the next guy dominated, if we can get to a point where we see the 18 and the 4 battle for the win come side by side, maybe more of that, Parker, to your point, I think that would take away some of the people who are missing the parody, missing the fact that we only have six winners in the first 13 races of the season. And that's a great point because then when that happens, we get a rivalry. And everyone loves rivalry. Yeah, Even I love me. a rivalry. All right, Pete, let's, um, let's look ahead to this weekend. So there's two tracks that Kevin Harvick hasn't won at, Kentucky and Pocono, which is where we're headed. He's finished second in the past two races at the Tricky Triangle. What do you think about his chances this weekend based on the fact that we're having this conversation about his dominance? I mean, I certainly don't think that he's a driver that can be overlooked, and I know I'm going to plug him into my fantasy team for the weekend once again. What do you think? Well, first of all, he's already in my fantasy team, so I'm a heady on that one, Carolyn. Yes, absolutely. I mean, look how well he ran there last year without winning. A year ago, this race, so exciting to watch Ryan Blaney first have to fend off Kyle Busch and then have to fend off Kevin Harvick to win the race, but Kevin was right there. There's not a racetrack that we go to, especially in the summer stretch, guys, where I can say, again, either Harvick or Kyle Busch is going to have problems. I can't find that Achilles heel for either of these guys. So week in and week out, I think the four, the 18 are going to be near the front of the field. And again, for Kevin, he's got five already. He said when he went to Kansas, it's kind of a game to him. How many numbers can he put up on the board? I see no reason to see why at, at the end of the day on Sunday, we won't see that four car in victory lane yet again. All right, let me throw a name at you and see if you agree with me that this could be a driver that could go up there and challenge these two for the win at Pocono. Number 11 car, Denny Hamlin. I know he's been so good there in the past. Maybe we haven't seen him out of, as of late, but with Joe Gibbs' cars being so good and knowing how badly he wants to get back in victory lane, what do you think? Well, and PK, we know that Denny Hamlin has been good at Pocono before. We all remember his rookie season when he went there and he swept both races in 2006. This year... I mean, when you think about it, he has been a top five machine. Every week I look up, the 11 cars in the top five, but they just can't find that next gear. They just can't find that next level to get up there and challenge Harvick and challenge Kyle Busch and actually challenge Martin Truex Jr. The key for me, for Denny Hamlin, we saw it last week and it worked for them, stay clean on pit road. No mistakes on pit road, speeding or otherwise, and if that happens and they'll have a fast race car, I don't disagree with you. I think the 11 car can be a factor on Sunday afternoon. Wait, Denny Hamlin and speeding on pit road? I'm not, is it deja vu or something right now? <laughs> yeah, I don't think on him, but, you know, he's got to just watch watch that tech out, watch those, those numbers there on pit road. <laughs> what do you think about uh, the Xfinity series? I mean, Parker, you're probably more equipped to handle the question, but the, the package that they're running that we saw at Indy, what do you think about this, Parker? Well, I think it's, you know, a great uh, move for the sport. We saw it worked at Indy last year with this high drag, low horsepower sort of package that's allowing cars to draft each other and also make moves using the draft and stay closer together. We saw it at the All-Star Race, and I thought it was awesome. I know many of the drivers, and speaking to them, said, man, I was going so slow. But when you watched it on TV, you couldn't really see it. So, Pete, we're going to Pocono now with this package in the Xfinity Series. I believe it should work. I, I know from what I saw at Indy that it worked, and now with that long front straightaway, I just have to believe it worked. But what are you hearing from the fans out there? What do they think? Well, the one thing that the fans don't like, and you just hit on it, 
when you give them the idea that they're going slower, you're restricting them. But to me, I'll give up a little speed for better competition. I think Pocono is going to be a better idea, I think, of seeing this idea in work than maybe even it was with the Cup Series and the All-Star Race, because, as you said, Indianapolis and Pocono are much more similar. I thought the Indianapolis Xfinity Series race last year was the best Xfinity Series race we've had at the Brickyard. So I'm really excited to see how we have that out on Saturday. And then next week, we'll try it at Michigan and again, back to back. So this is going to be something I think to keep our eyes on, whether or not we plug it into the Cup Series or not before the year is over, we'll have to see. But I'm really excited about Saturday's Xfinity Series race just because of the rules package. Yeah, and I just have this image in my mind of them coming off turn three at Pocono and bump drafting and like maybe three or four wide bump drafting down the front straightaway because I just believe that's what you're going to have to do to make runs, especially on restarts, which would be crazy. And then you mentioned Michigan, where I think we could see bump drafting similar to what we see at Daytona or Talladega at Michigan because it is just going to be easy flat out and therefore going to be all about using the draft and using your other competitors to make speed. So, Pete, before we let you go, we know that it's your birthday on Saturday. You have any special plans? What are you doing this weekend? Well, well, the family, you know, they, they're, they're, they're insisting on throwing me a huge party, Carolyn, with all sorts of presents and food and drinks. So I guess <laughs> I'll just have to endure my birthday. Plus, it's Kyle Petty's birthday, so we're going to celebrate a double here at the Paisan Palace. Oh, my goodness. I wish we got our invites. They're yeah. lost in the mail. Maybe next time we're out, Pete. We'll have you on the show again soon anyway. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, so we know what Pete's doing with his fantasy team. Coming up next, it is time to make our fantasy picks. Find out which drivers are must-starts and who you should park and which one of us you should listen to for fantasy advice. We'll be right back. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back, everybody. Earlier today, Kevin Harvick was in Connecticut to take part in an announcement that Foxwoods Resort Casino will sponsor the Cup Series race at New Hampshire on July 22nd. Harvick was joined by his son, Keelan, for the big event, which included a parade around the resort grounds. Foxwoods is the largest resort casino in North America. Great day for Kevin Harvick and family. Yesterday on the show, Kyle Petty was handing out his midterm grades, and before the show, a fan posted this tweet asking the question, what's the over-under on KP saying, I'm sorry, but... That got us thinking about some of Kyle's best catchphrases here on the show. I'm going to say something, but I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Let me just say this. I will say this. Here's what I'm going to say. But I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you. But I'm telling you. Let me tell you something. But I'm telling you something. And listen, 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 listen. Now listen, and listen, listen. Look, look, look. Okay, listen, look. I'm done. I'm done. Just, just listen. I'm going to say this. Hey, I'm going to tell you this. Just listen. I'm going I'm to say this. So I'm going to tell you something right now, okay? Oh, oh that's my go-to. We then. had to have some fun with you because it's your birthday on Saturday. But, man, I love, I love those catchphrases, those Kyle Petty catchphrases. That's the only listen, way to I, do, do you, an imitation of you. Yeah. I, yeah. But look, look they're, they're perfect. Let me just say this. I, I know, I know Pete's, Pete said use Paisan. It's the Paisan Palace or whatever. That's just redneck and Italian. That's what it means. So I'm going to have a big redneck party, too. Okay. And you talk about a save. Wait a minute. You, you, you were talking about a save last night? Come to my party. You ought to see these guys when they try to fall or when they fall down and they got a drink in their hand. That's a save right uh-huh. there, baby. Okay. Let me tell you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Chris's birthday today as well. I'm sure her party will be way more refined than yours. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
All right, now we have how many races left? Three races left Three. in our 10-week fantasy league. So it is time to focus on finishing strong here, especially for Kyle. <laughs> He's struggling a little bit. Uh, you want to take us through and yeah, show let's do it. us what you're working with So uh, I'm going to tell you this. Let me talk about this. Hold I'm on a, a second. I'm going to just say this. Yeah, I'm, yeah guys, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to talk about listen, this real quick. Listen, listen. Let, let, yeah, listen, let me tell you. All right, so we got fantasy here, and I'm going to tell you who I got. Listen, so I'm going to start off here. With Kyle Busch, surprise, surprise. I've got Kevin Harvick as well. Wow, I, I know you're all shocked. Denny Hamlin, obviously he's been very fast so far this year, and he's been great at poking in the past. Ryan Blaney, I think they can break through and maybe have a great weekend this, this weekend. Clint Boyer, I was unsure about this one by putting him in. I might change him out with Eric Jones later on. And in my garage, I get Brad Kizlowski. So, Kyle, that's who I got. Let me listen to who you got. Okay, well, listen close, because I don't have a clue. And I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch. Those are no-brainers for me. Okay, then I'm to put Blaney in, because he won there last time, last year. So I, I, I think there's, there's still some mojo there. Um, so, and then I go to, to Eric Jones. Look, I think that this is a place, and I've said it before, uh, Denny Hamlin just naturally it became a great track for him. I think Eric Jones is out of that same mold. I threw Denny Hamlin in for his past success. And last year's champion, I got to go with Mark, Martin Truex in the garage. Nice picks, but uh, let me tell you this. Take a listen real quick, all right? Let me just let me just tell you something. Here's, here's who I got here on the bottom. Winning the poll, I got per Kurt Busch in the 41 car, although it might get rained out, so I'm not sure about that pick. Winning stage one, Kevin Harvick. Stage two, Denny Hamlin. And winning the race, Brad Keselowski. And I went with the same manufacturer that he has, which is Ford. I did not hedge my bet. So, Kyle, who do you got down the bonus section? Yeah, rain or shine, Kurt Busch is a fantasy to be on the pole. I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. I'm going to go with the other Busch brother. Kyle Busch, who's been fast. Kyle Busch, first stage. 2X second. Eric Jones for the win. Toyota, the manufacturer. And you know what? You know what I think about all this? Don't listen to anything I just told you because I'm basically in last in this fantasy league. So I would take Are? everything I just said with a grain of salt. I thought Kyle Petty was last. Well, I'm what close to last. I'm somewhere listening. back there. I think I'm 953rd. We're listening to two losers on this show give losing picks. All right. Good luck oh. in your fantasy this you week. You know what? I'm sending this show home for the night. Thank you, gentlemen. We're back again on Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern with all the latest from Pocono. Make sure to follow us on social, NASCAR and NBC. Make sure you enjoyed the weekend. And a very happy birthday to Kyle on Twitter. I'll also give you a cell phone number so you can reach out personally. Have a good night. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.